Hi, and welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. I'm Molly Wistie, and I started this podcast so that carvers could hear from other carvers, learn from other carvers, feel connected to other carvers, even if you're in an area where you're working and you're kind of secluded and and you don't get to see other carvers very often. In this episode, I get to talk with James Elliott from Scotland. Let's go ahead and bring him on. So I've got James Elliott on from Scotland, and I don't know, did you want to tell him anything else about where you're located, or just Scotland, or? No, no, it's quite specifically Glasgow. Uh, I'm a Glasgow boy through and through. Uh, we're, we're a distinct breed within uh, within Scotland, and we're, we're all very proud of where we come from. So I need to get that in there for anyone listening from Scotland, or particularly from Glasgow. Sure. Sure, sounds good. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. People are going to love to hear from, you know, just people from different places all over the world is great. No, thank you so much for inviting me, Molly. I've, I have to commend you in these podcasts because I've, I've listened to them almost religiously uh, since I started carving in 2016, and they're, they're really informative. So uh, it's a real privilege to, to have been included on them. Oh, cool. Thank you. I'm so glad that they're they're helpful. That's my intention is being helpful. <laughs> well, absolutely. You've, you've, you've got a real skill for, for getting good information out of people. It's, it's uh, just a shame that I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. So it's going to be harder to, to get any good facts out of me. <laughs> well, it looks like you know what you're doing. So you've got that going. <laughs> That's the main thing. That's the main thing. Yeah. So let me let me ask you, this is my question that I ask everybody because it's the most interesting, like, so what's your story? How did you get started chainsaw carving? You said 2016? Yeah, so I got a degree in illustration um, after I left school, uh, well, digital illustration, and um, I was kind of in the process of building up a portfolio uh, and I'd started doing tree surgery work, you know, like... Uh, tree cutting, tree dismantling, etc., um, just to pay the bills. And I'd enjoyed it that much that I was almost ready to to can my pursuits of the, the artistic career. Um, but I'd shown a kind of interest in chainsaw carving and a few of my colleagues really pushed me to, to get involved and give it a try. Um, and I carved this, what I would say now is an absolutely terrible owl uh, with no face. But they thought it was absolutely mind-blowing. They'd never seen anything like it. Um, and they took it out in the work truck uh, at lunchtime. And they got stopped numerous times by people on the roads wanting to buy it, uh, which I couldn't believe. And I think they <laughs> couldn't either. You know, they couldn't believe that this useless idiot apprentice uh, had actually done something that people liked, you know. Right. Um, that was kind of... That was the start of it, I think. Um, I started carving after work and at weekends, and before I knew it, I was supplementing my wage and it kind of grew into a, a part-time job uh, very, very quickly. Um, so I'm very lucky in that respect, you know. It's it's um, it's blossomed out of almost nothing very, very quickly, you know, five years or so, that is, I think, in total. Cool, that's great. That's exciting. I know it's fun... I remember making my first work and selling it and being like, wow, this is incredible that people want want this. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's um it's 
it's that kind of hurdle you have to get over where you're like, are they really going to buy that? <laughs> right, right. Um, We're always, we always are the hardest on our own work and criticize it more than anyone else would. Absolutely. That's a, I think that's an ongoing problem. That certainly hasn't gone away for me. You know, there's, there's a lot of my work, I'm like, God, I can't put that on Facebook. And then when I do, a lot of people seem to acknowledge that, it, that they like it, you know, which blows me away every time, to be honest. Right. Okay, so I was going to ask you, I mean, I I follow your work on Instagram and Facebook, and you're you're James Elliott on both of those, right? Or yeah, that's right. It's um, JE Sculpture on Instagram and okay. James Elliott Chainsaw Sculpture on Facebook. Okay. Yeah, you're, and your work is incredible. I'm impressed by a lot of it. One thing that really stood out was that elephant that you did. What was the process with that like? It's all, Is it life-sized? Thank you so much. And no, it's actually a little bit smaller than an adult elephant would be. It's about 12, 14 foot in total. Um, so that was a my first like absolutely massive job, if you will. Uh, and the customer made it very clear he wanted as big an elephant as possible. Um, and I, I'd seen, I think it was the buffalo that Jeff Moore had made, uh, and he'd done it with laminated posts. And I just thought, wow, that's you know a really technical piece, but it worked really well. And he seemed to have done it blindingly fast. And I just thought, I, I want to try that. I want to try that with this piece. Um, at the time, didn't realise quite how stupid an idea that was, trying to copy a, a 30-year master carver. Um, yeah. But it's the absolute biggest learning curve of my carving career and indeed my life, I think, to be honest. Um, but that was 32 pieces in total, 8-inch uh, by 8-inch posts. And I'd got them milled by thick and thin lumber uh, owned by Adam Murray down in the down in the borders um so they were green green larch posts um and they were joined together into a, a massive cube using ratchet straps and gorilla glue and a few dowels as well um and i just i carved out the body uh, attached the head attached the trunk attached the ears the tail and then i used some oak for the tusks um but the the process was what you don't see from the pictures is there was far more failures than I could count within it um, and it was a case of absolute determination to try and get it finished but an absolute test you know but I'm really glad that I, I stuck in with it um, and yeah. the end product was was fantastic and in my own eyes uh, which which meant a lot to me and also the customer so I'm glad I did it. <laughs> oh yeah it looks incredible. Sorry what was that? Saying I'm still recovering from it. Yeah. So did you, were you working on that full time? Like, was that, or did you have another job when you were working on that? No. So basically, um, I quickly realized that it was going to go way over my budget. So I had to factor in other jobs while I was working on it. Sure. Uh, and I actually, I actually funded it in part with other jobs as well, because I wanted to push it as far as I could. Um, which the customer very surprisingly and kindly, and kindly was okay with. Um, and he was extremely supportive throughout the process as well, which which I'm extremely grateful for, um, because it allowed me to to demonstrate what I can do, you know. So I'm, I'm really glad that I, I made that 
kind of brave decision. Very foolish business decision, but a, a brave decision anyway, I think, personally. No, and I, to- I totally get that because I always want to push my pieces like to the best that I can do. But sometimes with the budget, you're like, well, I can't work on it for two months. You know, the budget I'm- isn't isn't high enough. So I understand that. I think it's um, you know, it's we don't often get a chance to carve what we want. So I think it's important to every now and again turn your commission into a carving that you want it to be, you know, and maybe not think of the money and think more about the product that you want to have at the end of it and the customer that you would like to have would want that, you know. Um, and that's I think that's a kind of meet in the middle with being able to carve what you want to the standard that you want you know I don't know if that makes sense yeah well that's that's a really good point too because if you if you push it even though it might be a little bit beyond the budget and then you put something out there you're gonna get more customers that want something at that level and you can probably even start charging more absolutely absolutely it's like um you know in illustration uh, you come out of uni and you apply for a studio and they say well we don't we don't care about your university portfolio we want to see what you've done since then so you've then got to do unpaid work to build up a portfolio to get to get work you know so it's a similar principle it just shows what you can do off your own off your own back really in a way you know I don't know if that makes sense outside of my head or not but I hope yeah (laughs) no that totally makes sense um so this is going in a totally different direction, but I saw that you mentioned really liking the Echo 361 when you first got it. Are you still loving it, and what do you what do you like about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a fantastic saw. It's very well balanced. It's very simple. You know, there's no fancy fanciness on it. Um, it's no nonsense. It runs well. Uh, it's been. I've absolutely hammered mine and it's it still still works absolutely fantastic uh, and it's also half the price or just less than half the price at the time I bought it than the 201 which is the kind of still equivalent um, okay. I think um, on that fact alone it's it's very worth considering for anyone looking for a, a kind of low mid-range saw um, you know I run a, a 14 inch quarter tip on mine and it's it's indispensable you know I'm, I'm using it probably the most out of all my saws um i really enjoy it okay cool that was what i was going to ask you too is how you had it set up so you said a 14 inch quarter tip yes yes um it's it seems to to cope with that really well um and i'll actually i'll use it on like i say i'll use it on pretty much every piece you know it's my kind of go-to saw for starting off the the detail you know getting into that that bit where everything clicks um, sure. I'd highly end it. cool thanks for telling us about that I know a lot of a lot of new carvers are always asking about saws and there's so many different options that it's sometimes hard to even tell them you know where to where to start absolutely and I think uh, I think Echo is a bit of an un- unsung brand and I mean I, I love my Husqvarna I love still big saws you know I'm, I'm not aligned in particular to any as of yet but i really do enjoy the the small echoes they they seem to perform really well sure i've kind of found too i have husqvarna's for bigger saws like my 550 xp or my 572 like and really big like 590 but i don't think husqvarna 
I could be wrong. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Husqvarna has as many smaller saws. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've I've not um, I've not looked into their smaller saws a lot myself, you know, because I've got got the echoes, but um, yeah. I, they're certainly my go-to choice, you know, for a 550, 560, 572. Like you can't fault those saws; they're absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah. Really yeah, I do like those saws. Cool. Okay, so you do, at least on your Instagram, you do a lot of, like, informational videos, like, short kind of tips and tricks. Do you also have a YouTube, or are most of your videos on Instagram? At the moment, all I've got is on, on Instagram. Uh, I do plan this year on starting a YouTube channel, um, you know, once I've got some some proper video equipment. Um, but at the moment, it's all all just on my Instagram. Sure. And a lot of them, I don't know if I watched all of them, but a lot of them, you're, you, it's kind of cool because you show, like, what grinder you're using or, like, a lot of the saber bits, and you kind of show, like, what you use the bit for. Like, this bit's really good for eyes and stuff like that. Yeah, basically, I was I was doing an ambassadorship with, uh, with Sabertooth, so we were kind of, we had to give so many videos um per month uh so that was kind of the basis behind it but i was like well you look online and people show you like what tool they use to do this in their video but they're not necessarily showing you what how they're using that individual bit you know um yeah. certainly at that time anyway um and i i just i kind of like to show people my methods you know and that way sometimes people say oh i do it this way and this is a, I, I feel this way is a better way of doing it so you learn from showing other people as well you know right um, well, i think that's cool because i have a lot of saber bits and there's a few and i've been carving for quite a while now but there's a few i have the bit and i'm like i'm not sure what i would do with this one and yeah. then and then you'll see somebody else u- using it and you're like, oh, that's incredible. And and now I'm going to use that bit all the time because I know what to do with it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've I've got a heck of a lot of uh, saber tooth bits, but there's definitely four or five that are my, my kind of go to. Um, and other ones I'll maybe not use until a friend or I see a video of someone using it. I'm like, ah, it kind of clicks that you could use it for that, you know, particular scale or feather or um using it at this angle gives you this effect and that's useful at speed or whatever you know it's it's amazing how things click after kind of having the tool for a few weeks or months right cool okay so you and i kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording but oh what are the public carving opportunities like around scotland um are there competitions or art shows or carver gatherings or like what kind of stuff goes on over there for you guys yeah so the main show uh, or the most established show would be carve car bridge which is way up in the highlands in the beautiful cairngorms um and that's a, a four-hour main piece so an extremely fast paced competition um, and I actually visited that before I started carving, and that was what kind of gave me the bug. Um, seeing Big Pete Boucher uh, carving a, a man holding a small dog um, within four hours, I just thought that was absolutely incredible. Wow. Uh, 
And I mean, it's it's a skill in its own right. You know, it's not something I think you can just jump into and expect to win. You really need to get a get a method down for it. Uh, but it's an extremely fun competition to take take part in, and it's definitely a highlight of the year for for all of us carvers here in Scotland. Um, there's also Garnock Valley Calves, which is newly set up, and that's near me in Ayrshire, uh, in a small village called Beef. And that's kind of taken off as another another big show. Um, and they're more than more than welcome for internationals who fancy seeing Scotland to, to come and visit. Um, there's also a smaller show that's on the rise called People's Wood Fest, um, which is kind of further out towards the East Coast. And again, it's, it's, it's kind of a new-ish show, um, but certainly one that's starting to kind of grow and develop. Um, but that's that's the sum of our kind of competitions, if you will. Um, there's not much in terms of wood carving art shows. It's a kind of a fledgling fledgling kind of art art form over here uh, it's just kind of starting to really grow wings and legs you know so okay uh, to, to see what's what's going to come around the corner in the future sure and what what time of the year are are those events that you talked about are they all kind they're of actually, yeah they're actually all very close to each other so calf car bridge usually takes place in september um and then Garnock Valley calves is a couple of weeks later, um, so the 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 handily kind of placed to to be with, within range of each other, you know. Um, yeah. If anyone's anyone's interested in coming to visit, I'm sure, um, I'm sure they would they would be willing to consider you. I'm totally putting you on the spot here because I didn't tell you I was going to ask you, but so if if someone wanted to apply to these places, do you know if they have like websites or Facebook or like who would they even contact? Yeah, they absolutely do. They've got, um, they've got, each one of them's got a kind of website and um, a Facebook page and they would be able to, to contact and inquire through them uh, or indeed through any kind of Scottish carver, I suppose, as well, um, because we all go to them. <laughs> sure. Okay. I'm the I'm the newbie. I'm, I'm I shouldn't be giving this advice. I'm just the newcomer. So <laughs> you know you know what's funny too. Um, I actually people I'm trying to remember where they asked, but people requested that I interview you. So I can't I can't believe you, that. I you might be the newbie, that. but uh, people were requesting <laughs> to hear from you. Uh, I refuse to believe that, and I'm certainly very <laughs> flattered. I'm certainly very flattered. I should look here. I should call him out. You, you need to tell me, Molly, because I need to know who I'm. Who I'm I know. The first, so to. I'm gonna totally butcher butcher his name, but Benji Warrantini Hamara. Right. I'll, I'll send you a message. But he he was like, you gotta interview James. Oh, <laughs> so, so then I went. I didn't that? pay him. To, I didn't pay him to ask you that. I promise. <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure not. <laughs> okay um so i saw that you mentioned a couple times using american tulip wood and maybe this is just me by being naive but i've never heard of it why do you <laughs> like that wood i think that's a, a very like um what would you say it's an artistic license to make it sound really 
special. Um, I think you guys just call it poplar. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I'm like, ooh, American tulip wood. What is it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically um, it's basically a wood that joiners, um, you know, like carpenters would use here to make a to make staircases. Uh, and it's it takes paint really well, but it also also looks beautiful uh, unfinished. It's got lovely kind of greeny white, purpley hues through it. Um, I think it's just a, a standard American uh, poplar, but for some reason here it's called tulipwood. Um, but it's it's a different species to what we would call poplar, which is why I think it's identified as, as tulipwood. Um, okay. But I, I certainly really enjoyed working with it. It's It takes the saw. It's a very hard wood. You know, it was dried wood I was using, uh, but it seems to take the saw marks really nicely and kind of leave a, a nice impression on the wood. Um, but it also sands up really easily uh, and takes paint well too. So I, I, I really enjoyed working with that, actually. I really did. Cool. It was a good wood. Um, I should ask you too, I know, and I can only speak, well, I guess I kind of know, I've heard from other people too, over here in the United States, I don't know if it has to do with COVID or supply issues, but we're having a tough time getting getting wood and and wood prices have like skyrocketed. How are things over there? All right, can you yeah, get wood over there? I think uh, over here in, in Scotland, uh, as part of the United Kingdom, we're currently going through what's known as Brexit. So we're kind of breaking away from the, the European Union. Uh, so a lot of a lot of things have kind of risen in price and I believe you know, dimensional timber uh, has become a lot more expensive. Uh, certainly, you know, forestry wagon loads of timber uh, have gone up in price as well, but not on the level that kind of joinery timber has. You know, I think if you're getting dimensional lumber, you're you're really fighting to get what you need. Uh, I, I know that from from pals that are that are joiners themselves. They're, they're having real trouble at the minute. Uh, so I think that's maybe a, a global thing, you know, the the onset or well, the offset of, of coronavirus. Sure. OK. Yeah, I was just curious because I know we're having issues. Like you said, it's a little bit more with dimensional, but. But, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of supply, supply issues, too. Cool. Yeah, no, it's um, it's funny how everyone's impacted, you know, and like yeah, I just assumed that. For us, it was because of Brexit, you know, and a lot of wood would be coming from Europe into the UK. Uh, so I'm surprised that somewhere as, as big and with as many local forests as America, that you guys are having issues like that as well. But when I when I was out in Washington, there was logging trucks moving constantly, lots of them. Because my kids and I play a game and we, we say something when we see a logging truck. And after a while, my kids were like, oh, you have to quit because they're all logging trucks. Like, there's too many. <laughs> I haven't passed a car in the motorway for at least three hours, and all they're saying is, there's a logging truck. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I must say, your, your holiday in Washington looked incredible from what I saw in your, your Instagram stories. It, it really did. Oh, yeah. I love, I love going to – so if you ever come to the United States, a lot of the stuff – and and I shouldn't I'm not saying other events are bad, but those West Coast events, it's just incredible because I love the mountains. So yeah. like, 
like all those events out on the coast, like Reedsport and Ocean Shores and Cedro Woolley. And like, if you head that way, then you get to go through the mountains or like Libby, Libby, Montana. But yeah, it was really pretty. Yeah, fantastic. It would uh, have been an absolute dream to, to see, you know, pass through and see these places, these these landscapes, you know. Uh, we can certainly certainly appreciate mountains here in Scotland. We've got our own, but nothing on the on the scale of the ones in the, the west coast of America, I can imagine. Sure. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I saw, were you working with furniture builders on a piece? Well, I've got a... I've got a join of friend, uh, Gav Ramsey, uh, who I call on when I'm stuck because prior to Chainsaw Calvin, I had no experience working with, with wood or measurements or anything like that. So I've kind of learned a lot as I've gone along and I'm I'm very good at making things incredibly difficult for myself as any <laughs> of the Scottish or English carvers I talk to will more than likely let you know. Um, so I quite often call on the help of my, my good friend Gav uh, to come in and help get things faster. Sometimes another carver, Johnny Stapleford, will come to my rescue because uh, he lives about 50 miles away. Um, and he's he's been great at helping me when I'm stuck as well. But I there's a charity furniture maker in Glasgow um, called Gal Gale uh, organisation that help reintegrate people with difficulty um, into kind of working with wood by traditional means and they have access to big planers etc that I've been lucky enough to utilize on some projects and uh, the guys there are very good people very helpful and uh, have certainly helped me get things done a lot quicker and more intuitively than I would have otherwise Um, so yeah that's that's the kind of help that I've managed to facilitate on on a few jobs. I'm, I like to pride myself on being that guy that would be like, right, I remember this guy that used to work with wood or used to do this. I'm going to give him a phone and see if he wants to help me out, you know? Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's the kind of way to, to make it. If you're a, a self-employed worker, uh, you just kind of need to bite the bullet and do these things uh, every now and again. Yeah. I'm just always curious about, you know, working with people that do wood furniture stuff or more joinery because I chainsaw carve, but my husband just as a hobby builds wood furniture. So a lot of times like on one job that I was doing, there was a lot of joinery. So I, br- mm-hmm. I brought him with me and people were like, oh, I didn't know your husband chainsaw carved. And I'm like, well, he's helping me fit stuff together. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it certainly makes things easier sometimes having, you know, someone with with experience and knowledge of, of doing the joins, getting involved. Um, certainly my early days trying to tackle joins, I probably wasted like half a day just getting a simple join to fit properly, um, right. which can be very frustrating, you know, and someone with, with knowledge of doing it can do the same thing in a few minutes. So it makes sense to, to facilitate them in to help you, yeah. Yeah. And I will say one. So my husband's usually working with dimensional lumber like it's not as natural. But so once in a while when he helps me, he's like he can do it better than I can. But he's like, this is frustrating trying to attach curved pieces to curved pieces or, you know, whatever I got going on. That's a mess. And he's like two two by fours would be a lot nicer. (laughs) No, I can understand that for sure. Definitely. 
I saw that you, or it looked like you study anatomy and do some sketching. And maybe you talked about this in the beginning um, when you talked about starting carving, but where did you pick up the way that you study your subjects or why does that way work for you? Yeah, so um, I'd say I kind of, I learned my process for studying reference um, through my, my degree in illustration. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, you know, if you want to get good at drawing a wolf, um, you need to understand what makes a wolf work. You know, the muscles, the the legs, the the head, you know, the, the simple shapes, but also the, the anatomy that lies beneath the skin. Uh, and I think that's that's vital for, for realism. You can only get so far with a, a silhouette and suggested, you know, suggested planes. Um, so I would say that my method for studying reference hasn't changed from being a 2D artist. Uh, it's probably got more in depth though through having to make muscles link up to other muscles rather than having the kind of the veil of 2D perspective, you know, make it easier because you're only drawing one side, you know. Um, But yeah, I'd certainly say to anyone that wants to up their game as far as reference studying goes, uh, as many pictures as you can from all angles, uh, clearly showing, you know, the muscles in different positions. and yeah simplify until you get to a point where you can detail basically um sure. the, the way that works for me anyway not that i'm not that i'm saying i'm by any means particularly good at it i just i, I certainly enjoy doing it um but if anyone asked me advice that's what i would say sure and do you have i are there like certain books that you look at or are you getting references like from the internet or like where are you finding like the bone structure of a wolf? I'll, um, I'll basically just do a Google search or a search on Pinterest and scroll through almost endlessly. I can waste hours and hours doing it um, yeah. and find ones that really resonate with what I need it for. Uh, maybe a similar pose or, you know, just a, a really good demonstration of how the muscle looks. Uh, but what I'll also do is cross-reference that with other ones because you can't always guarantee that the the artist or photographer that's taking the picture has done so in a, an accurate way. So just like a research for a scientific paper, it's better to have more of the same than just rely on one, you know? Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I know um, I usually – I do a lot of searching on Pinterest, and I know – I don't even know if I'm saying this right, but deviant art or, yes. or deviant art and then in, instructables. A lot of times they just come up when I search, but they show a lot of like the skull, the skeleton structure and whatnot. Yeah, um, I say being a millennial growing up as a, you know, getting into digital art, etc. I, I was once on deviant art, not anymore, um, very, very long time ago. Uh, but the a lot of the kind of 3D digital artists that post on there, they'll post a, a 3D model of, say, you know, something that's been designed for a video game or a movie. And they are, uh, what would I say, they're indispensable uh, as reference because it's a sculptor that's already rendered it. And without having a, a need to absolutely copy it, it clearly shows all the planes and forms etc that you want to look at 
um, in a in a way that's you know already been designed to look decent. So yeah. they can be a real starting point. Um, I certainly wouldn't recommend copying another artist's work, you know, out and out. But certainly as a starting point for laying on your own spin on it. Um, oh right, yeah, for sure. And I know like some of these that I've saved. Um, I know what you're talking about where they've totally rendered a wolf or whatever, but some of the artists on DeviantArt actually put out like this one that I'm looking at. It's like how to do paws and furs for a wolf. And it's yeah. like, uh, it's like an instruction thing. Like it's, it's for other artists to use to look at anatomy. Yes. I, th- I think they, that kind of, uh, that kind of style of, of, of kind of instructable whatever they, they are really really good they're excellent yeah. um and also to anyone wanting to get into kind of human study reference i'd really recommend the andrew loomis books uh they're really old they're actually a kind of standard for a lot of studying artists and it's actually a method for for drawing uh, it's a kind of a method he devised for getting a kind of uh, aesthetically pleasing human kind of quite quickly from no reference just using a build-up of shapes and I actually try to apply that when I'm when I'm carving not just humans but animals as well and a lot of these instructables will, will draw from that as well uh, but he's, he's really worth getting his all his books and, and really studying them they're, they're indispensable I think I look at them a few times a week still uh, they're really really good cool thank you good tip see all about about sharing the knowledge that's what it's all about yeah yeah definitely i love helping other people out find things that they that they need what part of chainsaw carving had the biggest learning curve for you like what was the toughest when you switched you know media from illustration to chainsaw carving i'd definitely say blocking out i still struggle with it it's uh it's an absolute minefield it's a a mental battle you know you like you've you've got so many deci- possible decisions that you can make and you've got to concise and be assertive and make you know one cut here one cut there and every time i think that i've i've devised a good way of doing it the next the next piece that i carve throws me off you know i, I um certainly that's the the hardest part because it's very different to how i draw um i can almost jump straight into the kind of construction phase in a drawing and then I'm quite happy but I've, I'm certainly not at that level with, with Chainsaw Calvin yet. Uh, I don't know if that's the same for, for everyone. Is that the same for you Molly? I know even before I started Chainsaw Carving I carved with a knife like just smaller right. stuff and I remember I'd, I was a painter and um, trying to wrap my mind around carving the front and the profile at the same time it it was just weird i would like i would try to carve the entire front and then i would go to the side and then be totally blown away that i had to make the profile match the front and Mm -hmm. it took a while to wrap my mind around that but once i did like i still like 2d art but it's not as exciting to me as trying to make all the sides work together oh absolutely that's that's the it's definitely the biggest thrill when you you make that. I was I was actually saying this to English woodcarver Mike Jones uh, just yesterday. It's that you hit that point where 
you just put one cut in and then all of a sudden everything makes sense and you can just let go and just rattle through it. It's it's golden that moment, you know? Yeah. I know that moment that you're talking about. Up till then I'm kinda tense. Yeah. And then when I make that cut and I know it's gonna be okay, I relax a little. Yeah, oh absolutely. The the inner critic is is wild before that moment and then he kinda lets go and you just go boom and get it done. Oh, great feeling. Yeah. Okay, so if there are any newer carvers listening, what advice would you have for them related to carving? Um, oh, uh, practice constantly. Uh, study your reference. Don't be afraid of failure. Um, push each piece further than you think you can and don't worry about speed. But I think pushing each piece further than you think you can is probably the biggest, pe- the biggest one. Uh, because if you really want to learn about the anatomy or really push your own boundaries in a carving, I think you're better just digging, digging really deep into it and putting 110% into it. Uh, I think that's certainly what what I would say has benefited me the most. Um, you know, really, really, really digging into it, really getting involved in it. Cool. Good. Nice advice. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. I say I'm just I'm just new, so I'm not really in much a position to to tell anyone what to do. But that's that's certainly what I feel would would have worked for me anyway. It's good though, because you know sometimes, I mean, like carvers that have been carving a long, long time having have incredible advice. But it it can also be good to hear from someone that's newer because there might be different ideas or stuff that's fresh in your mind because you just went through it. You know. Yeah. Suppose I, it's all, it's all still very fresh in my head for sure, and it's, you know, I'm still, still learning every day as well. Well, not that I don't think you ever stop learning in this, in this game, but um, it's certainly the, the beginner steps are still very fresh in my head because it, it just feels like yesterday, you know. Right. Uh, that's true. Well, is, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Because that's all the questions I had written down. Um, not that I can think of, Molly. I think we covered it pretty well. It's been really great talking to you. I, I really appreciate you being on. A lot of people will, will love to hear what you have to say. No, I really appreciate you getting me on, Molly. It's uh, It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. And uh, hopefully I've not bored you to death with my voice. I, I say I don't I don't often speak this much. So uh, it's been weird for myself hearing myself talking this much, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's funny okay I'm gonna tell you though in the United States it has been my experience and and I think people listen to the podcast from other countries too but it has been my experience that people in the United States love Scottish accents so that they're gonna like listening to this my kids I interviewed um I interviewed Robbie Bass you know and he's in Australia right, and uh, my kids love his accent they actually asked to listen to his podcast <laughs> Uh, have it on as a lullaby before they go to sleep right so <laughs> you might not like your voice but i think other people will no i, I, I like the american accent as conversely it's it's refreshing to hear the american accent and enjoy it so it's been a pleasure for me too thank you for listening to this episode of the chainsaw carving podcast be sure to go and check out the other episodes 
And also, just to make sure that other carvers can find the podcast, if you could rate it, like it, share it, we'd appreciate it.